Hi, I'm Rachel Dillon, and together with my husband, Marcus Dillon, we lead Who's Really the Boss podcast, where we highlight the joys and challenges of running a business with your spouse or family. Our mission is to strengthen families and businesses by helping listeners avoid the mistakes we have made so they can lead and live happily ever after. Welcome back to Who's Really the Boss podcast. Thanks for having me back. So I spoke to Kinley uh, pretty much every single day I talk to Kinley, but just spoke to her recently. And the topic of conversation, which this will not be a surprise to anyone who's had college kids, but it came a little bit as a surprise to me, was that she really wants to get her nails done. And she's away in Switzerland and she... is blowing through her money like there's just no really other way to say it and so um, all of these opportunities exist so she is in Europe and so traveling is really her main priority but then there are also other things that come up and you know all of a sudden groceries are expensive and eating out is expensive which these are things that she she doesn't value (laughs) she didn't really pay attention to um, prior to you know, having to start looking at her, really looking at her finances and realizing how quickly they're going. And so she was telling me she wanted to get her nails done, but it wasn't 15 minutes before in that same conversation that she was saying how she wanted to go to London and the flights were really cheap, but the stuff they were going to do once they got there cost so much. And she didn't know how you know, she's going to do this trip plus another trip to Paris that's already scheduled. And so really just talking through um, kind of how to manage how to manage her money when the funds aren't unlimited anymore. Yeah, you're dealing with market situation. She can't work uh, there. She doesn't have the right visa. And did you ever think that we'd be having these conversations about our 18-year-old daughter? Like London, Paris wake surfing behind a boat on like Lugano just yeah I think her uh one of her trips coming up is just to go a couple hours north in Switzerland Uh, but you have to think about she has uh, train costs to get there then she has the tickets of kind of the excursion they're going to do once they're there plus they need to eat uh, and then come back home and so she's like I'm not going to go to the grocery store (laughs) because I want to do this this weekend. And, you know, you and I were just thinking, okay, well, please eat. If it's groceries, we'll cover it. And then not 10 minutes later, she's talking about, I really want to get my nails done. And I just had to call her out and just say, you know, you're concerned about buying strawberries, (laughs) um, but you aren't thinking twice about the the part of getting her nails done that she was more concerned about was two of her friends got turned away at six different shops, they wouldn't serve them. And so they went in, it said walk-ins welcome, and they turned them away. And at the sixth one, they finally asked like, this is a sixth place we've tried and no one will, you know, do our nails. And the lady told her, it's probably because you're American. (laughs) So it may not have been an availability uh, they found out at the end. But again, I told Kidley, I'm like, okay, well, you don't need to worry about that. How are you going to pay for getting your nails done? And is that really 
how you want to use that amount of money. If you can go to London for $50 or you can get your nails done for $50, wouldn't you rather <laughs> go to London? See, and in my mind, I'm like, I would start a nail shop and charge $100 <laughs> to Americans and have availability. Uh, you know, she has so many talents, but she did my nails one time, uh, never again. So yeah. she would have to, you know, repay that. <laughs> she would have a million complaints, negative reviews. It would not be a good situation. Well, yeah. So I think part of the conversation today is around priori prioritizing cash flow or profitability when the market allows for it. Uh, yeah, but we're not even going to say it like that kindly. I just want to go straight in because I've heard this said. In times that money is tight, whether that's from an entire market and economy or that's an individual business, we have set up our firm to not be a transaction or a compliance, a regulatory filing. We have set up our firm to be advisory to help businesses get better, to grow. Um, what happens to those advisory firms, those ones that are doing so great when businesses are doing great or the economy as a whole is doing great? What happens to the advisory firm when it's a down economy? Yeah, uh, a few different things. You could either do well or you could do bad. <laughs> so um, it's, I think the the title of this or what we had t talked about before was how advisory firms fail. Um, <laughs> or uh, No, but I'm glad that's what you remember because I think that that's something to consider. You know, we have built a business that we love. We have built a business that we think we can sustain from a wanting to do it and also from financially being able to do it for the long term, for the foreseeable future. We don't have any desire to like quit, run away, close the doors, um, get rid of it. But if you're doing something that people have to have, let's say a tax return or an yep. audit, you have a little bit of security, maybe not how much you can charge, I don't know. Um, but when you have an advisory firm, sometimes people see that as straight luxury. Like I only have this in the really, really good times. Sure. So uh, a few different things. There, There's in the news where if you're in public accounting, the advisory lines of business are shrinking or not being focused on right now because of certain things like customers having to make that decision on I've only got so much money coming in where is that best money used and what will sustain the business throughout this season in a big four or large consulting company there have been layoffs in the advisors and you have to look at how that business is structured those advisors those fractional CFOs or controllers I would equate that to more of a staffing company so they place assets team members into companies to supplement given capacity in that company so there's just more work to go around for the internal team you bring this expert in or this relief valve into this business and what happens when that business doesn't have the volume the revenue to support that is we no longer have a need for these consultants these contractors and then so they no longer have an engagement if they no longer have an engagement they no longer have an, a job, a, a need for them. So 
part of it is right sizing, right sizing, both at the client level, you know, we have capacity now to do this all in house at the firm level. We don't have these engagements anymore. This is right sizing 30%, I believe, um, you know, kind of going away in the near, in the recent future, uh, or in the recent past, uh, sorry, um, on how that kind of played out in some of those larger firms with that, you have to look at who they're serving. So those large advisory consulting shops, which are more staffing agencies like placement, they are serving temporarily in a client that has an internal financial team. They have a controller, they have a CFO, they have accounting departments. This other person is just extra. Most of the small businesses that we serve that others like us serve, don't have that internal team and they still rely on financial processes that our team provides or similar businesses provide through up economies and down economies. Now it may not be fun. Some people may view you as a luxury, but you have to bring the value that equals the price you charge or more value um, in, in those times. And so we saw this during COVID. We've seen this a little bit during our, um, you know, our time in this down economy, you have to bring it every day. You have to bring new ideas. You have to bring thoughts and, uh, and observations and recommendations on things that they should be doing in their business, things that they should be paying attention to as ways to survive or even thrive in, in this economy. So all that to say, it depends on where you play on if you're really needed or not in a down economy. And if you're not needed, typically it's just right sizing. It all comes back to capacity. It, it, you know, if you're, if you have capacity, you're not needed, you're not needed, you know? And the other piece is we've seen a lot of fractional CFOs, a lot of fractional controllers who are really just solopreneurs. Um, they're people who have left industry or left have, a, have left public accounting. They have a very handful, small handful of clients that they serve in a fractional capacity. Those people are similar to the big four that where, you know, if there's not a need, those are the ones that are going to be scaled down. If you're just a solo person that's providing one-on-one -on -one services within a business where you have to think through, where can I add value? Where can I add process to this business? If you're able to do that, if you're able to build that and stay valuable throughout the life cycle of a business, you're sticky and sticky wins and sticky is what stays throughout an up economy or down economy. Yeah. So some of those sticky services we feel like in addition to bringing new opportunities. So not going line by line through a profit and loss statement and calling that an advisory meeting, um, but actually bringing recommendations, opportunities, helping business owners, especially those who are very sensitive to changing economies um, in different industries, diversify a little bit. So if it is a down economy and you may be their main area, they have something else um, as a safety net to come alongside them, but also payroll services, bookkeeping services, tax preparation and tax planning um, all go into that as well to serve our clients fully to help, again, with a little bit of diversification for 
when there is a down economy. Yeah, you have to, this is where we're at in the evolution of DBA. You continue to have to move from preparation to planning. And that's where we're pushing our team, kind of encouraging outside the box thinking, how do you bring solutions to clients, not just compliance. And that's, that's hard for people to think through the bubble that they've lived in for the majority of their career. And if you have a mindset that's fixed on what you only know to be that preparation engagement, or if things change and you're not able to adapt, those are, those are not going to end well during down economies. Um, we saw when the, when you could be a really bad business owner and still be successful during the time of free money and um, an open economy, you had excess funds. And so our caution to our clients was always to hold back, to be responsible during the good and the bad times and not make decisions based on, it could be vanity or, um, desire and, you know, stay conservative, stay true to who you are. There's resources, there's books, the toilet paper entrepreneur is a great one. And it's a really easy read. Um, how you make decisions in your business at the start of your business need to be carried through the life of your business. So you think about the tube of toothpaste and how, how you work so hard at the end of that tube of toothpaste to get the little bit out and, and you ration, you start and you ration it. it. You're not letting any fall into the sink for sure at that point. Yeah. Versus when the times are good and you've got a full bottle of toothpaste and you just aren't as selective on how much you put onto it and some falls in the sink, it's fine that, you know, we're just in that bottle of toothpaste as far as, as, as an economy and things are a little bit toward the, the end of the tube right now. Hopefully we get a new tube soon. So. <laughs> for sure. Um, I know for us, what we've done personally, what we've seen other successful advisory firms do during times of even just uncertainty. So it doesn't even have to be qualified as like a recession or a recession for a certain industry, but just even in times of uncertainty, a lot of innovation is happening, meaning you're starting to do things differently within your own firm that then either makes a better experience or adds more value to the client. Um, down the line also educating the clients as much as possible so not that it's not happening you know on a set frequency or cadence quarterly or monthly but during those times i feel like we have stepped up and provided even more so just with the thought of where can we learn for them and then provide that at really no additional charge just to help them get through. Yeah. Um, communication is another one where you can't, you can't over communicate in a bad economy. Uh, I, th I think that's the piece where we have said people, people can leave DBA on price alone. It, like the value, maybe what we bring to the table and we're seen as a luxury. Like I'm okay with people leaving DBA based on price service, communication. Those are other reasons that I hold more dear to my heart as why someone would have to exit. So as being a part of their financial team and leading that financial team, a lot of times 
we know the budget. We know the results. We are independent enough to be able to give the advice that your budget does not align. You can't afford us right now, which is a hard decision to make. Let's think through different options. At the same time, we also see some clients retract too much to where it's an internal team member that doesn't make sense. And you actually have more freedom, more flexibility to keep the contractor in place. Mm -hmm. So those are some things to evaluate. Do you have somebody that's near retirement that it just makes sense to accelerate that? Um, and that's, we know there's people behind those decisions. Those are hard decisions to make and they impact people and lives and families. But from a business, from a numbers perspective, you just have to view it and you have to take the non-emotional data, the financial data, make the decision, and then you can deal with the emotion after and how you handle the decision, how you handle the emotion should be planned and calculated, not, not robotic. You have to bring in emotion when you're dealing with those hard decisions. Yeah. And even though there are so many steps you can take to retain as many of those clients and really that retention is just showing that you are helping their business in some capacity um, even if a client feels like you're still helping them they do have to often make a hard decision and say but at this time you know i'm not keeping up with the revenue to be able to support you know the fee that comes along with it. And so what are some things that an advisory firm can do to counteract that attrition that comes with maybe just the economy? To, to counteract it, first I would say attrition is good. Um, you know, I think evolution, pruning, all of that is good, whether you force it through a coal or client block situation by grading your clients, or if it's just natural. I think it gives you freedom to make decisions in your business. You always have to look at capacity and does your business, is it, is it capacity wise okay? Or you have to make those decisions on team members as well. And so part of what we've even seen um, in good in good economies, not so much. People stick with you and just pay regardless if you're doing good work or if you're, you know, um, a luxury. I think people don't want to make the call to change, but then whenever things start getting tight, then they start evaluating. And if, if it's no longer the right season to be a client, that's okay. And you want to leave people better off than you found them. You want to help them find their next home that matches their budget that they have. So what we've seen is that as we have some attrition at the lower price point, we're adding clients at a higher price point. And in business, that works. Like that makes me happy, right? You know, I can take two $1,000 a month clients and if I go land a one $4,000 a month client, what's wrong in that situation, right? And so while it would be, a, be hard to not focus on those $1,000 relationships and those clients you're losing, they're going to somebody that's going to serve them well, hopefully, and they're going to be a better fit for them. Now we're now called to go serve that $4,000 client as best we can. So what happens as you see some attrition, the, the firm above you, the firm that's larger than you, they're also seeing some attrition. So their clients are evaluating that larger firm relationship 
And as that in between, you're able to provide services that that larger firm was doing. So I would say to counteract, how do you go maybe align yourself with a larger firm and say, hey, we've got capacity. We're looking to add new clients in this price range, this industry, this makeup. So they know as those clients feel pain that they can redirect them to somebody who serves them. Because in our situation, we want a good home for those two $1,000 clients that can no longer afford us and it doesn't make sense in their business. And so those are the pieces that you can do to counteract. And that is a more profitable, what's the word? That's a, that's a more growth minded effort than just focusing on the negatives, discounting your fee to where you keep those people. That's the wrong thing to do. That is the worst. And if they're not financially savvy, if, if you've been in place for a while and they're still not financially following your advice or having a good path, it may be the right call to let them go during that time on their terms versus it ending badly because we have all like we've kept people too long and we've regretted it every single time where it's like, I wish I would have exited that client three months ago, six months ago, because now it's even worse. And so sometimes the path is clear and you, you have to trust your gut as far as timing is concerned. Yeah. I love that you said aligning with different firms, both above and below, um, because what that allows, especially for the firms who have defined a niche, defined an ideal client, you didn't make the recommendation of going outside of what you are experts at doing or what um, you have defined as this is what we do best and how we do best. I think that could be another solution if you realize that you're serving industries that are very volatile that frequently have you know big dips in their industry that may be something to consider as far as having maybe one two or three different industries or maybe having two service lines that help balance out when those times are tough for serving those clients so i think um that's such a better recommendation of yes you know it's going to come kind of top down it's going to trickle down so most likely you're not the largest um in a price point and you can kind of help be a new home for someone else who is looking at cutting costs as well yeah and you brought up a great point where niche and industry and things like that so obviously with covid we had medical practice dental practices that closed were mandated closed for a period of time um if you look at that and you said, I only have dental clients, only have medical clients, and all my clients are closed, their incoming revenue is zero, that I made the wrong decision on whether to niche down or not. And before you make the decision on which industry you're going to serve fully or niche, um, you have to evaluate that. So if you go down the path of, I'm only going to serve realtors, and then the economy is what it is today you got to pivot really fast, really hard. And how can you do that? And what opportunities exist? Or what we saw with the dental and medical industry when we were in COVID, how are you walking alongside those clients during that time? Because you know, it's going to turn back on. It's just for our situation, it was a scheduling conflict. Like they just couldn't schedule their patients during that period. We knew as soon as the window opened back up, they're going to be busier than they ever knew. And have to deal with all this stuff. So how can we go help them? How can we 
add so much credibility to walk along that journey with them, be side by side, give them advice. Okay, when the gates open up, we're raising prices as much as we can because no one's gonna be blinking at prices. We're still gonna have to be in the market. If you need to raise them, let's do it now. That way we ride the wave and and we're doing the best we can. So those are the pieces people kind of say, maybe I chose the wrong niche, maybe I didn't. You have to do your research. You have to feel that you're called to serve a certain community. And if your community is down, you have to determine, is this a short-term down or is it a long-term down and what am I willing to do? If it's the short-term, go serve them. Like go take them to lunch, pay for the lunch, like they'll return the favor on the other side. Go learn what grants, what opportunities, what things are being are happening alongside them. You're gonna get so much business, so much on the other side of that because you've walked through that, walked through that with them. That's really good. And so before there's a downturn. What are some things you mentioned before always spending responsibly, no matter whether you're, you know, at a high revenue year, high profitability year, or, you know, a low, um, just being conscientious and maybe a little more on the conservative side, especially if you're an industry that has a lot of ups ups and downs. Um, But for an advisory firm, what are some things they can do to kind of help if they're if they do see for whatever reason a decline in their client base or in their revenue i think the main thing is um where even we come back to this when you have success you can't rest you um i'm going to quote andy stanley a lot because i was listening to him this morning but success breeds complacency complacency leads to failure. And I think when you look at success, breeding complacency, are you complacent in your business? If you're meeting with your clients who are really successful, how do you bring them back in? How do you say, how are you innovating? What new processes are you looking at? What are you testing? What new service lines are you interested about? Because growth is good. Growth, whether it's from a volume perspective, from a pricing perspective, whatever that is, it's going to give you so many more options on the other side of, of, of a good economy, which is a bad economy. And that's where if you get complacent, if you go on vacation, if you take your foot off the, off the pedal and are just coasting, it's going to be hard to turn it back on. You may have missed your window. You may have missed your exit and you're on the road for another nine miles, which we do all the time uh, near the airport. So it's, it's one of those where realizing that success breeds complacency, complacency leads to failure because if you can't recover, there's only further down the path to failure to go. Um, the other piece is getting really clear on your mission and vision. And, um, Andy Stanley, again, mission and vision is forever. Processes are temporary. And so processes mainly live a year, two years, five years, 10 years. Your mission and vision is forever. So if your mission and vision is to serve um, dental clients or let's say serve uh, patients with the best care, whatever that could be, that is forever. It could change. It could tweak over a life cycle, but not more frequently than your processes and your service delivery and things like that. And that's where you marry the mission, you date the model 
and the model could change and you don't marry in date, you know, uh, in our world, uh, faith wise, but you, you marry the mission, you date the model. I married the model. Um, but it's one of those where always, always be open to criticism, criticism. Is that the right word on the model and be okay with changes along the way? Yeah, that's really good. I think what we might see um, in our industry from accountants and accounting firms is in good times, meaning they're at capacity, they stop paying attention to things like their website, uh, their marketing efforts, and just kind of let them go because they don't want any more clients, they can't serve any more clients. But then as they start losing some, the ramp up to try to get new clients then becomes this huge challenge. Whereas if it had just been on going, um, it wouldn't be a challenge to turn it back on. We've done the same thing with team members as far as leaving job descriptions up on our website at all times so that people who are legitimately interested in, you know, being a part of our team, we have kind of a, um, like a file of those in waiting so that when we get ready to start interviewing or need to add capacity, we can do that. Um, I think, I think that's a big one. Like people, I, why do I need to do that? I have plenty of work. I don't need any extra work until they don't. And so I think, especially if transitioning to an advisory type firm, those are heavy relationships. People don't like to change that often. And so if you start losing for one reason or another clients, you need to make sure that that's always going yeah. in the background. So I, I think the other thing within our industry, and, and this applies to other professional services, if you've done your best, if you've saved, if you've stayed conservative, you know that this is just a short-term, defined short-term, but this is a short-term bubble that we all have to get through. This is what builds great businesses. This is where great decisions are made on the other side of this. Great businesses are not made during the COVID economy. Any fool can run a business during the COVID economy and make some money. So I think that's the piece where during the downtimes, that's where the strongest survive. That's where the best grow. That's where the best kind of are there and positioned really well at the beginning of the next new economy. If I were, I am leading an accounting firm and we started to have some attrition, started to have some capacity, I'm giving away my work to others. I'm working myself out of a job and I am delegating as much as possible. And then on the other side of this economy, on the new economy, my freedom is there whether that's succession, whether that's leading the firm to another destination, whether that's looking at opportunities for M&A, for other opportunities in, in other industries, other verticals you wanna add on. If I've given away all my work during the down economy and I can support that team that's doing that work, you're gonna be fine. You're gonna be better than fine because it's natural and you're gonna, bring on new employees, the employees you have are going to be there and stable and the culture is going to stay intact because you didn't have to downsize um, beyond what was necessary. I think right sizing or downsizing could be necessary, but then 
if you are doing that so that you retain all of your work, that is a very, a very bad choice that you will regret down the road. I think that's an awesome perspective and idea to share. Um, it goes along with our mission of developing confidence to think and live beyond the numbers, to not be so worried about is my profit margin exactly the same as it was during the very best of times and kind of potentially like burning your own self out, burning out other team members to try to save that for a short, a short term rather than getting through it, making changes that are going to accelerate that business and that profit margin for years down the road. Yeah. And that can be applied, um, to our business, to different client businesses. I think if you're able to free yourself up, make sure that your team is well-fed. I mean, this this happens throughout different situations. You make sure that the other person is fine. This is counter to what they tell you on the airplane, right? They tell you, put your, your mask on first. But if you've put your mask on first during the good economy, if you've paid off debt, you've been conservative, you've got savings to allow for that in your business and personally, you can sustain going for a while without that paycheck, without that profit. That's what we try to build in clients. That's what we try to prepare for because if you go counter, let's say we have a down economy for three years, five years. If you have been building to that and all of a sudden you cut your whole team and you just start taking on the work and doing it all again, we've gone back 10 years in goals. Like we're going to have to restart. We're going to have to go get a new team. We're going to have to redo all of this on the other side of it. You've just turned a three year down economy into five to 10 year setback. setback. Exactly. Yeah. That's really good. Well, this has been a good conversation. I um, was a little bit surprised when you said any business owner could do well in a COVID economy. Did you think in May of 2020 that the COVID economy would be a good economy? There were glimpses of... No, uh, you were freaking out. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was probably freaking Maybe out Maybe not in, May. In, in Let March. me say March. March, March and, and April. April. Yeah. March and April for sure. Yeah. That was like, this is going to be the worst thing ever. You know, we're going to have to figure out completely what to do for, you know, not only us and our team, but like for all of our business owners, like how are we all going to survive yeah. this business wise? Um, and so, yeah, it's a little bit surprising yeah. to think how well a lot of businesses ended up that had planned appropriately ahead of time, who had ran businesses well ahead of time, um, and then were able to sustain through it. Also businesses that were able to start and give them some runway and yeah. others maybe that weren't doing quite as well, got a little bump and maybe moved them down the road, you know, yeah. for a, a little bit longer than had it not happened. Yeah. I think what we saw in our client base is you, if you were a bad business owner before COVID, COVID just extended your ownership longer and you are still a bad business owner. You're just further in debt. And that is so bad. And we've seen that in a couple of scenarios where we exit the relationship, they continue to do things that they were doing and 
we just couldn't get through. And if, if we can't get through, if we can't communicate and they're not taking advice, don't pay us. Like we don't need to be on your team. Go find somebody else you'll listen to. So the one thing I would say, kind of talking about your, did I ever think to go back now, there would be things that I would do differently because we were steady Eddie during COVID. Like we made decisions that were based on conservative values to grow at a certain pace. We did not accelerate things or investment. Would I go back? I mean, now hindsight's twenty twenty. Would I go back and roll the dice and put more on the table? Maybe. And if that had been done, if we took a let's say a $2 million organization, then we went out and added service lines and we bolstered it to a five and an $8 million service line. And then on the other side of this, now we're having to go back to a $2 million. I, I'd probably be in a straight jacket. Like, I don't know that I could handle that decrease coming off of that high. So it all works out for a reason. God has a plan. And so I think the fact that we're steady Eddie and we've grown consistently, we're still growing today in the economy where we're at, we're helping great people. We have friends that did certain things, started businesses in COVID, and it's harder for them to reset now because the good times are done. The The market has changed. It may change for a while. They're saying that building your, your portfolio of real estate may look different for the next 30 years wow. than it has for the past 30 because you could do um, things as early as the 90s, given tax and given underlying interest rates and giving inflation and all of that going well, you could build a ton of wealth the last 30 years in the stock market and real estate. The next chapter is going to be harder to build wealth. And knowing that, would I have gone back and done things a little bit different to take advantage? Maybe, but you would have to have the perspective that what was done in the past can't be replicated in the future. And so maybe it's fine. We're still alive. We did everything we, we knew to. We were conservative throughout it. We helped a ton of people. And maybe that's the better long-term story for us and for others. And so with that, because those relationships really grew stronger, um, have grown stronger, relationships that needed to transition to a new season, will this, this will be a catalyst for that transition to happen. Um, and, and both parties will be better on the other side of that. We still stand by the advisory firm is what is better for us and the team members that we've attracted um, and currently have right now. So well, and it's, it's better for the industry. It's better for business. It's better for clients. It's better for the community to have a planning organization versus a preparation organization. The commodity of preparation is going away. It may not go away next year. It may go away five, 10 years. It's going away. And so the faster that you can evolve with the pace that you feel comfortable in, that is what to take. That is, that is what you should take advantage of regardless of the economy. Yeah, this has been a great conversation. All right, thanks. Thanks for hanging with us to the end of another episode. Leave us a review with your thoughts, comments, and feedback on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. Join us again next week for another great conversation.